Psalm 16. This is God's word. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take their name upon my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You have filled me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Thank you, Carl. If you uh, have been here over the last couple of Sundays, as, as Will said, you'll know that we've been going through a number of psalms. Uh, we started off with Psalm 41 and, and the psalm which speaks about the betrayal uh, of Jesus by Judas. Uh, last week we thought about the emotions of Jesus as he, as he hung on the cross uh, in terms of Psalm 31. Uh, a couple of days ago on Good Friday, we, we weren't looking at a psalm, but we, we thought about some words from uh, Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We, we thought about uh, how Jesus was forsaken so that we might not be forsaken. Uh, and today, I guess you could say that we're looking at the emotions of Jesus as he looked through the cross or he looked at the cross in the light of the resurrection. Uh, and we're doing that by looking at this uh, Psalm 16, which is one of the key psalms which is taken up in the New Testament uh, by, the, by the apostles, by Jesus' disciples, uh, to kind of, as a kind of proof, I suppose, uh, of, of the resurrection. Uh, it might seem like a strange thing to do to take a poem that was written 900 years uh, before Jesus lived to think about his emotions but, but in a way uh, this psalm I guess uh, informs us about the hope of the resurrection that, uh, that, that David had and that Jesus had too as he looked uh, at the cross and beyond that to his own resurrection. I just want to, uh, to, to pick up though in, in the New Testament one of the places where this psalm is, is quoted. So if you've got your Bible uh, with you turn to to Acts chapter 2. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's, a, there's some at the back of the church or otherwise uh, just listen as I read some words from Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts chapter 2 verse 25. This is 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead uh, and Peter, one of... Uh, Jesus' disciples in verse 25 says this, David said about him, about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. 
You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. It's a quote from, from Psalm 16. And Peter goes on, Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Peter uh, quotes from Psalm 16, it's quite a pretty long quote actually, uh, for the New Testament. Uh, and what he says is, he says that Psalm, it's not about David. Uh, David wrote it, but ultimately it wasn't about him. Uh, it was about Jesus. And hopefully as we go through Psalm 16 this morning we'll kind of begin to see how that works uh, and how Peter uh, could see that and identify that. But before we we get to that step I guess it's useful to kind of situate this psalm in uh, the life of David and kind of I suppose situate it in the life uh, of Jesus. the most important thing I think in, in coming to this, to this psalm is to understand that David is still looking ahead to ultimate deliverance. For David uh, in this psalm, ultimate deliverance is still a future reality. Uh, so in verse 1, David says to God, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. Right? David is asking God for help. Uh, if he's asking God for help, that means that he hasn't finally been uh, totally delivered. He hasn't finally been completely rescued. There's still this threat of danger. Uh, if you look to it, verses 9, and t- uh, 9 to 11, uh, it's, you can see that David's confidence uh, in God is, is still a future confidence. God won't abandon him to the grave. God will, in the future, fill him with joy in his presence. Right. So this psalm is looking ahead to this ultimate our future deliverance that God is going to bring about for David. The point of that is, I guess, uh, is that if you then translate that into the life of Jesus, this psalm is kind of relevant, would have been relevant for him. These words would have been, uh, had, had an incredible poignancy for him as he headed in his life on this earth toward the cross and looked beyond that to the resurrection. In other words, this psalm is kind of, in Jesus' perspective, it's kind of written or, or, or uh, it kind of is meaningful to him before Good Friday as he looks ahead to Good Friday and beyond that to Easter Sunday. It's a psalm about the cross in the light of the resurrection. So with that in mind, uh, let's go through uh, three main themes, three main sentiments, I guess, uh, that this psalm picks up on. The first that the uh, psalm puts before us is David's unbelievable delight. Uh, Verse 2, David says, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. David isn't just saying that God is is good. Uh, He's going one step further than that and he's saying that without God, there isn't anything good, right? If he doesn't have God, he's got nothing. But uh, David's delight isn't just bound up in God himself, it's also bound up in in God's people. Verse 3, As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is my delight. He delights in God, 
and he delights so much in God that he delights also in God's people. Uh, On the opposite side, he says in verse 4 that those who run after other gods, those who don't follow God, become more and more miserable. In effect, he says, I'm not going to take up their rituals. I'm not going to take up the rituals of those other gods. I'm not going to take up their names on my lips. I'm not going to follow them. I'm not going to trust them because I know ultimately that everything good that I have comes from God and if I don't have God, I've got nothing good at all. In many ways, what David is saying is simply this, God, I love you so very, very much. You are everything to me. It's the kind of line, isn't it, that you, that you would expect in a Hollywood movie, you know? It's kind of, yeah, I love you so much and, uh, and you mean everything to me. And, and you're sitting there going, oh, man, what's going on? You know, but it's, it's one thing to say that in a film, isn't it? it's one thing to say that to another person, but, but David is saying this about God and it's not some, you know, soppy romantic movie. This is... This is real. This is how he feels about God. God, I love you so much. You're everything to me. If I don't have you, <laughs> you know, I, uh, I can't live. David's first love in the whole world is God. And that's even more astonishing, isn't it, when you think about the situation that David's in. He, he hasn't ultimately been delivered. You know, God hasn't, still hasn't finally come through with, with, with all the, the things that, he hope, that David hopes for. There's still the threat of death. There's still the need for safety and for refuge. The world hasn't been put right, but David can still say, God, I love you. I love you with everything that I have. As we move forward to Jesus' experience on the cross, that becomes even more incredible, doesn't it? At the risk of sort of making a a caricature of God, imagine the the conversation between God the Father and God the Son as as they looked ahead to the resurrection. You can imagine the Father saying, Son, I I, I love you so much, but I want you to die for the sins of our people. I want you to die and to take the punishment for their sins. I want you to absorb on the cross all the weight of our fury against them. Imagine the Father asking the Son to do that and then Jesus saying, yes, Father, I'll do that because I love you so very much. It's a simplistic reconstruction, I know. You know ultimately, the reality is so much more profound than that, isn't it? We're talking about the Trinity. We're talking about the Father and the Son and the Spirit who are eternally God. But at the end of the day, what this psalm puts before us is this unbelievable intimacy and love of the Son for the Father. As Jesus looked ahead to the cross, as he looked ahead to what the Father was sending him to do, he looked beyond that to the resurrection because of his love for the Father. Jesus loved God more than David ever loved God and Jesus loved God in a way that we can never love God. But that's really the first uh, emotion, I suppose, that this psalm puts before us, the the unfathomable delight that David had 
and that Jesus ultimately had as he looked through the cross to the resurrection. But in this uh, psalm, David doesn't just speak about delight in God himself. He also goes on to speak about delight in what God has done for him. Uh, Look at verse 5 and 6. David writes, Lord, you have assigned uh, me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Whether David, uh, as he's writing this psalm, is in the middle of a a real crisis or whether he's looking back on one and ahead to, to, to ones which still might come, whether he's in a crisis at that time or not, what he realises is, is that everything he has is from the hand of God and everything that he has is good. It's a good portion, you know. What God has given him is good. It's a pleasant place. It's a delightful inheritance. Again, as we kind of throw ahead uh, to the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, those sentiments become even stronger and are thrown into into a kind of deeper relief. In what sense, as Jesus hung on the cross, in what sense could he say, Father, what you've given me is, is a good portion. You know, it's a, it's a good inheritance. I'm, I'm in a good place. In what sense could Jesus say, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places? But therein lies the wonder, I think, of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus puts the cross into perspective. Without the resurrection, the cross is just bad news. It's just bad news. But with with the resurrection in view, the cross becomes a wonderful thing. With the resurrection in view, Jesus can say, the boundary lines have fallen from the unpleasant places. With the resurrection in view, he could look beyond the cross and see what the Father was doing and to see that what the Father was doing was ultimately good. In a way, the, uh, the cross and resurrection-shaped life of Jesus provides a grid for our lives as well. Uh, it provides a grid for the lives of those people who follow Jesus. Jesus tells his disciples that if they follow him, if they trust him, then their lives will be cross-shaped lives. They have to take up their cross daily to follow Jesus. That is, they should expect that following Jesus will be hard and costly, that it will mean dying to themselves. There are a lot of ways I think that the cost of following Jesus plays out in our lives, but one thing that has particularly struck me as I've been thinking about it this week is the cost, maybe that we sometimes overlook, the cost of just going on living for Jesus, the cost of going on living in this world. Part of uh, Jesus' suffering was to give up the pleasures of heaven, to give up the pleasures of being uh, at the right hand of God the Father, to live in our sin-ravaged world. Right? That's what he gave up and he came to live in our sin-ravaged world. And as we follow him, uh, we follow him in that. For some people, the, the portion that God has given them is simply to go on living, following Jesus, when someone that they dearly love has already departed to be with Christ. Uh, 
For some of us, that's the reality. In fact, for all of us, that's the reality, isn't it? That we have to go on following Jesus, suffering in this world, living for the kingdom, even when people that we love who know Jesus have departed to, to be with him in heaven. Some days uh, I miss my grandmother terribly. She was, a, uh, she was a simple woman, but she was a woman of simple trust. She used to make me uh, date loaf. Uh, I said one time that I loved date loaf and she, she ended up making date loaf every second week. And, and uh, I'd come back from, from Canberra to Sydney and there'd be date loaf in the freezer to take back to Canberra. Uh, but she was a woman of, of a simple woman, but a woman of, of simple faith who prayed relentlessly for the church, for her family, uh, for her friends. When I... Uh, think beyond that too, I think, and maybe you do have this thought as well, I think about the fact that one day my parents are going to pass away and every day, every year, that reality gets closer. And I think to myself, I've depended on my parents for such a long time. How am I going to go on? You know, When things go wrong, they're the people that I turn to. How can I keep on going following Christ when they're not there anymore? And yet, this psalm teaches us to say, in the light of the resurrection, as bad as those things might be, ultimately they will be good. And ultimately they will be seen to be good. Suffering in this world, in the light of the resurrection, will be seen to be the good that it really is. It will be seen to be good. It will be good because one day those people who've already gone to be with Jesus will be raised from the dead. And one day those, who, those of us who trust in Jesus will be raised from the dead as well. And, and Christians throughout all the ages who, who've trusted in Jesus, who, who've followed him, they'll be raised as well. And, and together we'll stand around the throne of God and worship him and serve him and love him with all our hearts. And on that day, everything that's been bad, everything that's been awful, will be seen to be good. The cross means that the life of following Jesus is not an easy life. It's not a painless life. But the resurrection means that despite the pain, it will always be good and it will always be seen to be good. Well, this psalm speaks to us not only about David's delight in God and David's delight in the, in the good gifts of God, uh, it also speaks about David's absolute confidence uh, and absolute trust. That's uh, summed up really well in verse 8 where David says, I've set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. David then goes on to to show exactly what he is confident God will do. Verse 9 he says, Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Why? Because my body also will rest secure. What does it mean by that? 
because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. David's saying, I'll never be shaken. Uh, I'll always rejoice in God, no matter how bad bad it gets. I'll always be thankful. Why? Because God won't let me lie dead in the grave. He won't abandon me to the grave. But here's the problem of Psalm 16. David died, right? In fact, when Jesus came, David had been dead for 900 years and his body had been decaying in the grave. To some people who read Psalm 16 in the time of Jesus, they must have thought that David's hope and confidence was pretty misplaced, right? Right? And that's exactly what Peter picks up on in in Acts chapter 2. He says, Peter says this psalm wasn't fulfilled in David because David's dead, David died. His body is still in the grave. But David knew, says Peter, that God had promised that one of his descendants would be king. And so David looked ahead through the Holy Spirit, he looked ahead to that descendant and when he wrote this psalm he had that descendant in view and that descendant, that great descendant was Jesus. Jesus died, yes, but ultimately his body, God didn't abandon his body to the the grave. Jesus was in the grave for less than two days, three o'clock or something on Good Friday to early morning on Sunday. Jesus could face the uh, the unfathomable torment of the cross, not simply because he loved his father, not simply because his father had been good to him and and given him good things, but because he knew with absolute confidence that on the other side of the cross was resurrection. He had that confidence because he knew that his father was pleased with him. Jesus loved his father with his whole heart. He delighted in his father. He trusted his father. And so he knew that his father wouldn't abandon him to the grave. He knew his father wouldn't leave him there. He knew he would be vindicated and he was. God raised him from the dead and 500 people saw him over a period of about 40 days. And as we think about that, I guess, as we think about this psalm and as we read this psalm, as we see David's uh, confidence and think about Jesus' confidence as he hung on the cross and looked ahead to the resurrection, I think it presses home to ask the question, how can I be confident? How can I have that same confidence that, that David had, that, that Jesus has? Can, can I really be glad? Can I really say with all my heart, I'll never be shaken, I'll always rejoice because God will not abandon me to the grave? Oh. I'll always praise God no matter how bad life gets, no matter how much life stinks. I'll always be thankful because I know that on the other side of this God is going to raise me as well. He's not going to abandon me to the grave. Can I, can I know that? Can I have that confidence? Or can I only kind of wish for it? You know, sort of, I hope that that happens but I don't really know. The answer to that question lies in verse 10 where David says, Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. 
Literally, the word there is just faithful, you, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. If you hear a, a couple of Sundays ago when we looked at Psalm 41, uh, you might remember the word blameless. You might remember that the word blameless was a big word in the Old Testament and faithful is one of those words that always appears together with blamelessness. When we looked at Psalm 41 we saw that uh, blameless was a word and faithful is a word too that described those people in the Old Testament who committed themselves to following and trusting God but who knew that they were never blameless and that they were never completely faithful But nevertheless, they committed themselves to God and they trusted that one day God would send to this world the truly blameless one and the truly faithful one who would deliver them. Writ large across this whole psalm is the perfection of Jesus, isn't it? Writ large across this whole psalm is is the perfection of Jesus and his life of faith and trust in his Father. And ultimately, that's our hope. Our hope as we look beyond death to resurrection is not in our life of faith and trust. It's not, it's not, I'm faithful, I know that I'll be saved. Our faith and trust is imperfect, but Jesus is perfect. Our, our hope isn't in our suffering because our suffering can't achieve anything. But Jesus' suffering reconciles us to God. Our hope is not first and foremost in our own resurrection. Our greatest hope, in fact, is in Jesus' resurrection because with Jesus' resurrection came his ascension to the right hand of God the Father. With his resurrection came his installation as king of the whole universe. Our trust isn't in our faithfulness. That's an empty hope. If you trust in your own faithfulness, that's an empty hope. Our our trust... Our trust is in Jesus' faithfulness, in Jesus' perfection, in Jesus' obedience to death on a cross. If our trust is in him, then we can have absolute confidence that on the other side of death, God won't abandon us, but will raise us from the dead. Therefore my heart is glad, writes David, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Let me pray. Keep us safe, O God, for you are our refuge. Lord, we know that you are everything and that without you we have nothing good. Father, we won't take up the service of other gods. We won't won't serve money or ourselves. We won't take up the names of other gods on our lips because you alone are God and without you we have nothing.
Father, truly for us, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. You've been so good to us. You've given us a delightful inheritance. Therefore, Father, we will never be afraid and will always rejoice because you won't abandon us to the grave. Not because of our own righteousness, Lord, but because of Jesus, the truly faithful one, the truly holy one, who's gone that way before us. Father, we ask that you'd help us to put our trust in him. Help us to be confident and, Lord, to be full of joy because we know that on the other side of death there is resurrection and eternal joy at your right hand. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.